Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 272 of Lave Radio, the show about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Commander Phoenix Defire, Chief Archivist of Lave Station, and joining me in the Orange Sidewinder Bar for this episode, we have our Deputy Trade Attaché, Commander Souverine. What up? We have our Inhuman Resources Director, Commander Jean. Hello. And joining us, we have from the uh, the EIC, we have Mark Mac Winston. I almost said Mark. I almost, I almost Mark's said Mark. Is, Mark's his live radio name. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. It's not as bad as Asana. <laughs> I think, Colin, you should put a quid in a bottle every time you mispronounce Mac's name. <laughs> from now until LaveCon, and then we'll use the proceeds for you to get a drink. Uh, that probably sure has any... up buying the whole bar. I don't think that's, that's really a good idea. There won't be you any room time? in it from all the money that you put in for every time you mention uh, politics or Guild Wars 2. Yeah, I promised I would not mention it, but now you've broken the taboo. Oh, no. No, 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 no. There, there, was no there was no moratorium on... Um, moratorium on me mentioning it meanwhile to our listeners if you wish you can join us live we're hanging out in game in open at the orange sidewinder bar near lave well i am anyway but if you can't get us to us in game you can join the twitch chat channel which you can access through laveradio.com slash live click on the live chat and on twitch tv slash lave radio so uh, we will go around the the crew this week. Uh, oh, we do have uh, a Commander Ventura on tech tonight, so um, give give Commander Ventura a wave. Um, so quickly round the table, see how everybody has been this week. So we will start off with Mac. How have you been? Ah, pretty good. I have made absolutely pots of money this week. Um, we had an East India Company mining expedition, Operation Midas. And we did some uh, pay night and low temperature diamond runs. And on Sunday, I made a an absolute pot of money. I think it was over half a billion just from that one run alone, which was pretty good. So I think I might buy another couple of cutters. Won't be able to outfit them with that money, but yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to show off my newfound wealth somehow. And uh, my alt is currently flying on, is still doing the Christmas Carriers Convoy. I'm about just over halfway between the last waypoint and Sacagawea Spaceport at a fetchingly named system called FlyUA HyperUA RE-QB51-3 on Planet 1A. Well, that just Look, rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does. Looking at some very beautiful water geysers, it's like this very aquamarine valley. 
icy valley. And it, actually, it's an interesting system because the gas giant and the moons that orbit it, most things are like in the in the orbital plane, the whole system. But this one, a bit like, is it Neptune or Uranus in our solar system? One, one of them anyway is, is the, 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 the angle of rotation, the, the axis of the planet is like off 90 degrees to where most of them usually are. And this is like, the, in fact, the entire gas giant and its moons except for the outermost moon which is in plane is got about an inclination of about 80 odd degrees so i'm actually on the pole in bright sunshine sort of and if i looked up for long enough as the planet rotated i'd be able to see the star rotating above me but never setting because of the extreme extreme axis of the planet but anyway it's got nice water geysers and shortly i shall probably drive around it and collect some materials for engineering i'm so pleased you use the polite pronunciation Yes, I was thinking that. Should I call it which, which pronunciation should I use? Uh, I, I bet they are. I, I bet NASA I, so, uh, are, are so annoyed that that planet is called Uranus. <laughs> right, you would be, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Like, we want everybody to take cosmology seriously, and now they don't. Yeah, but this worse because, um, according to uh, scientists, Uranus is full of methane gas. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, well, this show devolved quickly, didn't it? And we haven't even got Ben. <laughs> you see, that's an actually true scientific fact, but you can't say it with a straight face. No. no Does it not. have any hydrogen sulfide in it? That's what I want to know. Well, you surely uh, you know that by you scanning. Can probably Google it. Yeah. Yeah, you need to get the discover. I can't believe we're already at the Uranus jokes already. Oh, God, it's almost as bad as Dockers. Anyway, uh, right, so, yeah, so, Vereen, what have you been up to for the last few weeks? Because you've been, in, you've been running around for... Uh, I have. What have I been doing? I've been fairly busy been very 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 busy with work things various magazine related shenanigans ferociously editing all day and all night which is um which is fun but tiring um and i'm trying to avoid the temptation to edit while being on the show because it never goes well um i have been uh i've been pretty busy with uh well it's, it's mainly been that to be honest i had a couple of had a couple of sort of days out here and there but but mostly mostly fairly fairly boring but i've been well i've not been to space for quite a long time i've been playing no man's sky a bit but i've um i'm had a couple of weeks off elite most not because i am um, oh there is one thing that was really really cool i've been slaughtering thargoids like an absolute trooper um, oh excellent i managed to i finally got the like i hadn't it's not like i'd been banging my head against the wall for years but like i every time i'd engaged a, an interceptor i'd um and, and i'd always had to bail because i i didn't I, I couldn't get it and then it a friend and a friend and i were sort of tag teaming cyclopses and uh and then he logged off and I had a go on my own and it, it, it suddenly clicked and I just got it and, and I killed my first Cyclops. And I was like, oh my God, wow. And then since then, I have been uh, slaughtering Thargoid interceptors like, ah, uh, just... Oh, yeah. excellent. Yeah, absolutely thinning their ranks, which has been so great. you've fun. got yourself a bobblehead now then, have you? No. Is that a reward for killing a, a Thargoid? Well, you only got the bobblehead for completing the witch head. Yeah, no, you no, didn't. So, I know, the, the Thargoid... The Thargoid bobblehead. 
you can still get that. Oh, can you? All right, I take that back then. So you collect a thyroid heart and uh, hand it in, I think, to a technical broker. Oh, cool. All oh, right, yeah, that sounds good. That's um, that's a really neat little touch, actually. I like that. Cosmetic reward for one of the game's um, chunky challenges. That's Hold cool. on. Is this one of the wireframe Thargoids you're talking about, which came for uh, 10 arcs or something like that a few weeks ago? Yeah, it was an arc, a single arc. That's that was, cool. <laughs> that was, I think you, you bought it for, for completing the Witch Head Nebula. But yeah, I'm, I now remember. I didn't realise that that was still happening. You could scoop hearts and claim the, claim the bobble head. That's Is good it- to know because I've got to have a try now. Me too. Is it? Uh, is it any tech broker? I think it's a Guardian tech broker. I think it is. I'll, I'll have to double check. It's been ages since I got mine, but uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that that was fun. But I've been so busy in the last couple of weeks that I haven't managed to get in game very much at all. Sadly, not because I don't. Not because I'm sort of needing a break from Elite. More because Elite is not really a. I'll just log in for a few minutes game. Um, like when when I'm really busy, I, I tend to just want to play a game for relaxation and elite is oh, i've got to get all the gubbins out of the cupboard uh, i've got to all, i've got to set it all up now i've got to and now i'm, I'm you know I, I load it up i'm never where i want to be you know getting meeting up with a mate is normally the best part of an hour of getting to the right ship and then jumping to them blah 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 so I, I, I don't generally play elite as a i'll just relax for half an hour before bed type of game it's it's like it's more of a oh i've got a couple of hours now i'll 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 play elite so because i've been so busy i've been playing other games the main beneficiary being no man's sky which is an absolutely perfect just play for 20 minutes sort of game really i've yeah. i've found it takes absolutely ages to play no man's sky to be honest it's one of those right. might be a function of how far down the survival curve you are because i'm not i've got about 200 hours in it now so i'm not i'm not i'm no longer at the stage where i'm ferreting around for sodium to avoid death <laughs> yes that's 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 one of the uh that's one of the things that turned me off it from to begin to, uh, to begin with, but it, it now I think I've got to the same point where I don't have to worry about it myself now. So, yeah. but death, uh, death yeah. from lack of sodium would definitely make you salty. Well, perhaps not salty. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yep. So are we. <laughs> uh, Commander Shan, what have you been up to this week? Uh, this week, I haven't actually played Elite very much at all this week. I've been I getting my shit. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to get what I did. I claimed my, uh, I docked at the, um, the mega ship from the CG so to claim my decal yeah. for doing the interstellar initiative. So I, I did that and then flew all my ships back again to their home base. Uh, did a bit of bounty hunting stuff, nothing. Nothing too serious this week. Mm. Alpha game, what we're doing with Alpha game. Fairly quiet week, really. Uh, various children are, both of them, are doing their own sort of children, young adult things. Mm. Uh, I have stopped, stopped up on Red Bull um, to watch the election broadcast on, uh. Thursday, on Thursday night, which I really enjoy because it's just like watching England play football. Because it goes on for hours and everyone loses at the end. So, <laughs> oh dear. I mean, yeah, maybe we should play the election drinking game. Uh, so, so, yeah, I'm actually. Look, I do actually look forward to it because I like all the uh, the the in, insipid explanations and all the. It's just a great TV show. Brilliant. Oh, I think I think they need to up it by having Jonathan Pye on it or something like that. Just 
exploding and melting down in the corner because I must admit the they come up every every election the BBC or ITV seem to come up with these new fancy graphics to explain exactly the same thing the last time but they now have have spent an absolute fortune on these new graphics and they still look rubbish. <laughs> so pity Terry Wogan's not still with us because he could have done it like he did the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, you, yes. could, get, you could get, um, oh, what's his name? Graham, Graham Norton. Norton. Graham, Graham, Graham Norton could do it. <laughs> He'd be there with his Irish passport going, <laughs> you're all screwed. Anyway. That was more political comment from you, Colin, than... I was going to have, so, you know, <laughs> I've been very good. But actually, I, I do I, I do actually seriously enjoy it because I, I do it when the American elections are on because I, I, I just enjoy watching the American TV cover their elections because it's, it's so funny. And it, it was the, the Trump election in 2016 was great because uh, the, the, the shock when the people at CNN realized that he was going to end up president was just classic. <laughs> it was that horrible realization when people went, he's going to win. Oh, we are so, uh, you know. Yeah, I suspect, we'll get, I suspect we'll get similar reactions regardless of the result yeah, no matter on Friday. Who, no matter who gets in, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to go, oh, we are so. F- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, just like watching England play football. <laughs> you know you're going to lose in the end, you know, and but this time it might just go to penalties. <laughs> yes, well, the, this is a party political broadcast on behalf of the Leave political party. Anyway. Uh... Actually, in the BGS, doesn't elect, doesn't, isn't one of the outcomes of election civil war? Oh, just don't go there. At the moment, um, one of the people that I... Uh, uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to leave that there because, uh, yeah. Moving on. The what have I been up to this week? Actually, I've been like you, uh, Solverine. I have been slaughtering thargoids, but scouts. I have now worked out that it's 16 scouts to one percentage point of deadly. So that means I've only got something like 1,580 to go. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes, um, I'm in the Astropi system. Or to Elite. Or to Elite. Oh, okay. I was, yeah, I was so, going to give you the cheery news that once you hit Deadly, you're approximately halfway through yes, the Pilots Federation. I, I know that, Shan. Jeez. It's the, I've only been playing this game for 35 years. I've got no idea that everyone doubles. <laughs> but have you actually ever got Elite in any of them? The Spectrum version, yes. What, you used to cheat, did you? That, no. How come you are <laughs> disparaging me right at the very beginning by saying this? You're casting serious aspersions on Colin's that is, uh, I mean, I have said. Skills. Was it fake I, news? Oh, God. The, the and there's are... the first mention of fake news tonight. Yes, okay. <laughs> well, that's because I'm... I was annoyed with the Spectrum version because they had a they had a thing where you sent off your yeah. screenshot or your file number and you got an elite badge. Yeah, you got a little, a little elite badge if you if yeah. you, if you got so that. So I, I, I sent mine off after getting elite legitimately, but then mm-hmm. they cancelled the offer because you could I think you just press when it said load new commander yes and then you cancelled it and you ended up elite anyway after about ten seconds in the Spectrum version. 
Oh, I never heard of that. I, oh, yeah, I there, was, that. there was a bug in it, and what you could do, there was a certain incantation you could do when it started, and you ended up in a ship not only elite but equipped with like absolutely god mode beyond engineering weapons. Oh, so there was a test mode left in it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, well, I don't know. There's a test mode. It might have just been a bug, but um, mm. the other bug in Spectrum Elite. Uh, this this may be we may be going down to trivia corner here. Was if you wanted to get to another system quickly, uh, you'd target it and you 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 target it for a hyperspace jump, start the countdown, and then fly back into the station, and you would arrive in the station in the destination system. That's okay. right, I remember that one. Do yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Oh man, the the, the other elite oddity from the classic days was the pc elite was significantly easier to get elite on than the other versions i think the other versions need on the order of something like six thousand kills but the pc elite was nothing nowhere near because i remember getting it quite quickly and i never got it in any of the other classic versions yes because the it went up in multiples of Doubled, didn't it? So it was two fifty six, five twelve, and yeah, you got a right on commander every two fifty six. Yeah, yeah, and it was sixteen right on commanders to get elite from Bedlia. Yeah. something like that. I do remember that I'm reading an article by the guys that um, did the Spectrum version of Elite. Uh, they basically all they got was um, a dump from <laughs> uh, a code dump from. Um, uh, Mr. Braben and Mr. Bell, and they couldn't make head or tail of it. So what they ended up doing was just reverse engineering the whole game and writing it from the ground up. And according to them, if they had been allowed to, they could have put in an awful lot more stuff into the Spectrum version, which I thought was quite surprising. What do you mean more stuff? Uh, you had more a bit spe- more memory. Um, you had more, more special missions. Uh, they were going to put more special missions in, Interesting. Uh, and maybe an extra galaxy. And uh, they did say that they, they could actually bring the number of ships up to the Commodore sixty four, but um, they they ran out of time apparently. Interesting. Well, there was quite a few missions, wasn't there? There was uh, there was there was two on the BBC and three on the Spectrum. A constrictor. Yep. Um, there was the life. rescue. The the my, your, my our star is going to go Nova. That one, yeah. Uh, and, and there was one where you had to blow up a, a, an infested space station. I seem to remember. Thargoid infested. Yep, space that was station. right. And uh, when you did that, you 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 got a special unjammable ECM and a cloaking device. Uh, that was that was a cloaking device. Was the ass model? Yeah. And you'd be really cheesed off if you shot the cloaking device cargo canister by mistake. <laughs> that was because I only ever dropped one of them. Yeah, but the, uh, the, the, the I, can, I can well understand they could fit a, fit if they had time they could fit it more into the spectrum because on the on the BBC micro you had the the basic unexpanded machine you had thirty two k of RAM of which quite a lot of that was taken up by the frame buffer, especially, you know, in the graphics mode. Yeah. And it was quite clever what they did on the BBC version. So they actually split, because the mode two, which used a lot of memory, it was this, like 16 color mode. They only used that for like the bottom, I don't know, 20 lines of the display to display your console. And the top bit where you looked out the window was in, I think mode four. So they had a, a basically a, 
an interrupt triggered route. I think it was interrupt triggered to basically change modes on the fly every every frame. Um, basically to say, so there's enough memory to get the game in there with, you know, without having to do the whole thing in, in mode two or mode four. Yeah. It, but, it was, it was quite clever how they manipulated the BBC in order to get the best out of it because, yeah. yeah. But the, uh, the BBC's advantage, it had a bit more, it had a bit more speed. The, the, um, the process of the BBC, although it was, it was a lower clock speed, it could do more instructions per second. It was a two megahertz six five oh two versus a three point five megahertz at eighty. Um and but the advantage the spectrum had is that um the frame buffer the yeah the display the display memory was was very economically laid out and it had more RAM to start with. It had forty eight K of, of RAM. Yep. And only six and a bit K was taken up by the actual display memory so you had a lot more you had a lot more memory for programs in there um so yeah they could have probably fit more stuff in i can but i seem that. to remember the bbc version had additional functionality if you had the code processor stuck on the side yeah there is actually i i, I have that version i have a bbc micro i have the bbc master with an internal uh co-processor and i've got all the versions of elite for it although I think I have a fault with my coprocessor because I can't get the second processor version to run. Um, the Master One to Eight version is like in full color. You know, it's quite fancy. But the uh, I've not been able to try the uh, second processor version. Um, but but yeah, they, they they did do various improvements with some of the expandability, and also the disc version of the BBC Micro version was uh, had more stuff in it than the tape version because yes, that's right. If 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 you ever played it, um, when There's you hyperspace and all that kind of stuff, whenever you hyperspace, the disk drive would start up and it would, it would load stuff off disk between systems, etc. So yeah, it had it had more because I, I think the tape version didn't have as many missions in as the disk version. I the, don't uh, think it had any missions. Yeah, you could be right, and there was certainly um, a lot more ships in the disk disk version. Because I remember on the on the Spectrum version, the tape had two sides. If you loaded it one side, it had the adder, I think. And if you loaded the other side, it had the crate. And do you remember the lens lock? Oh, no, the, how oh. can you forget <laughs> the lens lock? Good grief! I thought that I thought that was I got I keep on getting that uh, mixed up. The lens lock with the um, oh, what's the name of the your survival mask? Remlock. Yeah, I got those mixed up a lot. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to get you don't want to get those mixed up, otherwise you might <laughs> suffocate in the vacuum of space. There, there was a, there was a friend of mine who swore blind that when they got drunk, could read stuff from the lens lock without the lens lock. <laughs> they got back. That's like saying you know when you squint and you see people's faces who are pixelated, you can make the pit their faces out. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's it's funny you should mention all this this going back in time thing because the other thing I've been doing this week is that I have I've been going on a bit of a retro trip myself. I've been playing Pools of Radiance, um, which is an old nineteen ninety eight. Oh, hang on, no, nineteen eighty eight game, <laughs> which uh, is one of the first Dungeons and Dragons RPGs. Huh? Which what's it called? A pool of radiance. Oh, interesting. 
And um, it's, it's part of this series called the Gold Box series way back then. And the thing is, right, it is the most, it's got the user interface that you really want to basically punch your way through. Uh, but once you actually get into playing the game, it's actually quite an interesting little turn-based tactical, I don't know, beat em up hack them up, spell them up kind of kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I've been playing it for about 30 hours now. And I've almost finished the game and there's another four or five sequels that you can export your party from and put them into the next game. So I'm going to be here for years playing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's exactly the one. I mean, I had it for the old Amiga, and of course, it's available on good old games now. So, um, and it runs over Dustbox, and it, and it, it's got. Oh, honestly, it's it's like stick figures moving about on the screen. That's how bad it is. Original, <laughs> original football manager type, <laughs> type action. But when you get down to it, the actual gameplay underneath is surprisingly engrossing. Huh, cool. There were a few games like that. I remember things like uh, the, the Hobbit and Valhalla, and you'd you'd walk into a a, a they were like RPGs, adventure games. Foreign things, a song, and and you'd yeah you'd walk into <laughs> yes. a room and you'd, you'd have to wait while it drew the scene, completely little stick figures. Yeah, I mean I remember Valhalla, but there was the sequel. I played the sequel as well, wasn't there? And then of course it was. Um, I think Drew Wagar's favourite was the Lords of Midnight, wasn't it? Well, yeah, the Lords of Midnight was was there's two Spectrum games which everybody always talks about, and that was one was Elite and the other one was Lords of Midnight, um, because that was so far ahead of its time. I actually usually add in the Spectrum games, uh, Jet Set Willy, because it took me forever to copy the color codes down. <laughs> all of them on. Oh, I just, I just hacked, I just hacked it. And uh, the other one that people remember, I think, was School Days. Do you remember that? Oh, that was a brilliant game. That was. Yeah, uh, I mean, this this is quite ironic because um, my favorite Spectrum game before Elite came out was actually a game called Codename Matt. I don't know if anybody else remembers that. It was kind of like um, Star Raiders, but a lot better where you have to defend the solar system in your own unique game uh, in your own Melbourne Melbourne House brought out a a more educated version of Elite didn't they I think it was Starium was that that it called basically it it was a vector game where you shot chips and picked their various clues up which would then lead you to various events in history which you then had to put right um i I think it was starion no starion was the uh the the star wars alike game i'll have to look at the title of it i thought no hang on i thought the star Star wars alike game with that was star yeah star strike that's the one yeah Hmm. yeah oh no we do apologize for going down retro lane Ventura's now saying, what about talking about Rick Dangerous? And we're going, oh no, (laughs) it's going to be the retro stream. But on the nice subject of of talking retro, um, it has been posted today on the forums um, by by Stephen uh, about the fifth year anniversary. Um, We're going to have a stream 
uh, on the uh, hang on a second they're, they're going to have a, a stream on the 16th of December which uh, will be happening at 12 UTC uh, and it's to celebrate the 5th anniversary of Elite which is also coincidentally the 35th anniversary of the original Elite if you like so it's 5th anniversary of Elite Dangerous 35th anniversary of Elite or celebrating 35 years of Elite. Uh, and that's going to be at midday on, or was it going to be this Friday then? 16th of December, when's the 16th? That's a Monday, I think, isn't it? Uh, 16th is Monday, next Monday. Right, okay. So basically they're replacing the um, Monday Let's Play stream with just with, with the celebrationary one. Guess so. Uh, but talking in the mean, about, oh, go on. Yeah, so talking about live streams, I mean, I'm I'm definitely watching the, the fifth anniversary one because it has it really been five years. But anyway, um, have yeah. you heard anything about the twenty-four hour charity stream yet? Nothing. I don't even know if they're doing it. That um, would be quite a shock if they were not doing it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's. I don't think I've seen anything on announced by their um, their community team whether or not they're doing one of those this year. Uh, there is uh, an, an anniversary community goal which will be happening this year where we can deliver animal meat, fish, fruit and veg, beer, Lavian brandy. Um, I'm not even going to pronounce that one <laughs> or that one or that one. Uh, but to <laughs> Davis High in the retort system. Um, and also, if you deliver bounty vouchers there, you will also get um, uh, credit. So it looks like um, <laughs> you will get the Cobra Mark Three iridescent gleam paint job, which I must admit I've looked at. It looks quite nice. It's um, it's the purple one, not the green one. So uh, that does it's a chromy purple reflective. Uh, Cobra Mark III. Um, however, Paige has already clarified a couple of things about this. They are going to be talking everything in a retrospective manner. So still nothing new about what's coming up. They're, they're still staying as tight-lipped as ever. So does that mean we can ask them where Raxler is? Because that's retrospective. <laughs> Whether or not it's in the game. Because there's a lot of people uh, who claim that, nah, it can't be in. Can't be in the game. We had we had uh, Ty at Loose Screws have a good old rant about the fact he doesn't think the games that it's in the game the other week, which I, th I thought was quite amusing. Well, Elite has has a history of adding fictional tapestry. I mean, if you going back to the old retro theme, if you remember the manual that came with the eight bit games, it talks about space dredgers and generation ships, and <laughs> they weren't actually in the game. No, they weren't. <laughs> We had a space dredger briefly in the game, in the league, didn't we? Yes, it we had it in for a about. Uh, we it lasted about a week in a beta. Yeah, I know, and everybody loved it because you'd fly up to the front of it, and it would basically eat your ship. Did either of you see it? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Was it good? Yeah, in fact, go on, Susan. It w Was it good? I, I didn't see it. Uh, all right. It was like the space equivalent of Killdozer. Mm -mm. Sounds brilliant. I wonder why they took it out. 
I don't know. Because they've never added it back in, and it was it was a good three years ago now. I know. I do wonder whether or not they're holding it back for maybe an interness, interstellar initiative. Hmm. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> maybe they're going to turn it into the elite equivalent of the doomsday machine in Star Trek that goes around like eating stars and planets up. Well, <laughs> yeah, just you can just imagine it if sort of a rogue AI gets hold of it, then yeah, it's exactly what it is. Sensors only show debris where we charted seven planets last year. I think that was the <laughs> quote from the book. Yeah. So, um, I take it, uh, are you going to, well, I'm going to be watching this one, you, Shan? Uh, yeah, I should be watching it because I've got, up from Thursday, I'm not back at work until 2020, so I've got... Oh, lucky you. Well, not really, because I've been Mr. Sad Guy and not actually taking any holiday, hardly <laughs> this year. So my boss said, uh, you've really got to use up the 15 days, hol- well, the 20 days holiday you've got left to you. Uh, otherwise, it'll all go and you can only carry five forward. So I was like, mm, okay, that use them up. Right, yeah. I've got the same problem myself, only I've got to use them all up by, ooh, end of March. But then, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll manage it somehow. <laughs> oh, we can give you lots of chores to do around, the ho- around your house. Hey, you no. could even drive up. You could drive up and you could finish Cal's bathroom as a sort of like changing rooms special for it so he'll like go away and we'll all go up and we'll finish cow's bathroom and then he'll come in and he'll be like what well you see me d-i-s-o-s yeah like that well it it will be d-i-y-s-o-s by the time we finish yeah i just imagine you turning up like lawrence llewellyn bowen for some reason shan that's just popped into my head i got no idea why Oh yes, the, yes, the dredger. You can f- actually find a picture of it um, on the um, EliteDangerousFandom.com wiki slash dredger. So that would be uh, if you want to actually see what it looks like. It's a very industrial-looking beast. That's, uh, it'd be I've nice seen to it in see videos, it and it looked really, really cool. Um, I can only I can only imagine that they that they took it out because it was really buggy, or because the only way of interacting with it would have killed you. But that that seems a bit. I don't know. That that seem that seems sort of flies in the face slightly of the elite dangerous tough love mentality, doesn't it? And they they left the new pammers on the side of the Coriolis space station. So yeah, I, that's weird, isn't it? To have a yeah. to have a fully a fully finished asset that works with the animations and the, and because it would have it would have had its own coding and obviously it's a visual asset and it had its own sound design or or so maybe feels- the, yeah. I mean, I think they're a bit too nice with it really because if i was designing the space structure i would have the grinding jaws and the gnashing things with a docking port in the middle so you kind of have (laughs) (laughs) get good at docking otherwise it's munchy time (laughs) according to paul archer there will be a charity stream in february 2020 that's okay. Um, that's tricky because lots of people had Christmas holidays off. And it was yeah. I don't know. What you mean? So they won't be able to they won't be able to watch it because they'll be on holiday. Well, usually people are on Christmas holiday because it's usually the last 
the last Monday, isn't it, before Christmas? Was when it was still on before, yeah, or around the last Monday, Tuesday. And but usually, most people are either wound down at work or on holiday. Then, but in February, it, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I've got my theories around it, but I'm waiting for official com- um, confirmation of whether it, that is then or not. No pill three us says the dredger looks a bit like Red Dwarf. I, th- I think it. I think we can agree. Actually, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, Space Hero eighty had a good idea. Oh, I. They could, they could log the fact that the space dredger had disappeared on the issue tracker, and if we all voted it, it would get picked. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I've noticed a bug where I'm not getting dredged. <laughs> I demand to be dredged (laughs) (laughs) at Uranus now. (laughs) (laughs) I do apologise. I'm so sorry for that. Can we just strike that one for the record? Anyway, um, well, if you want, we will um, take a short advert break and then we're going to come back with um, the discussion topics that we were were carrying on from last week, which was the, the good old if there's one thing that you would put in the uh, design that you would like to change in Elite Dangerous, what would it be? Because yes, we still we still we're still we getting still emails have about seven this. Seven pages of suggestions. Seven pages. It was well, it was seven pages last week, and they might have been trimmed since then. Yeah, <laughs> we've scored an awful lot out, but wow, we ask for we ask for feedback, and feedback we got, so we're not complaining. <laughs> it's great. It's giving us it's giving us enough shows to last us <laughs> to Christmas <laughs> for a good for a good time. So, but this is the sort of feedback we we like because yes, we sit here and witter on about not very much at all. But having these ideas and feedback from the, the listeners is just great because it just it about it just stimulates our own thoughts and it just makes it a lot more fun. Plus, it gives Colin a break. Hey, buddy, why the long face? Exploring is boring. What? What makes you say so? Because I have to scoop for fuel at every single store. And then the voices I hear in the store tell me to... Whoa, sounds like you've got a case of space madness. What you really need is really big gas tank. What? With really big gas tank, you'll be sailing the Milky Way in style and comfort. No more hanging out at every stupid store just to refuel. It's as easy as honk and go. Gotta get to Beagle Point for a romantic interlude? Just honk and go. Want to be the buckiest ball in the galaxy? Just honk and go. And if you fill your really big gas tank with patented Jumbonium 5000, you can honk and go, go, go. Gee, thanks, mister. No, thank you. Really big gas tank. Because why wait when you can honk and go? Jumbonium 5000 has been known to cause extra arm growth, outdoor mayonnaise, tripism, and spontaneous targo face. He's only a drug. And welcome back. Now, as we said before, um, the question that we asked was, if you were to rewrite Elite, what one part would you change? Uh, and one of the first ones that we actually came back from was from Elite 
dangerous author, scribbler, Drew Wagar, who answered over Facebook. And he sort of said, I would not have allowed the entire galaxy to have been visited. Rather, I'd require players to unlock it bit by bit by working out high navigational hyperspace routes to new star systems via some kind of gameplay. Biggest mistake they made, in my humble opinion. Okay, let's open this one up to the floor. Shan, do you want to discuss this little point? Uh, yeah, I'm completely in agreement with Drew, actually, because going back to the beta and, and I think the gamma period, there was a a player group being formed, and I forget its name, forgive me. I think it was a Great Expedition or something like that it was called, where mm-hmm. they they had this player group or this group of players who wanted to go and descend to the galaxy and it, they thought it was going to take them months to get there. Yeah. That it was going to be, it was going to require logistics and all the stuff, a bit like the, um, uh, the Distant Worlds did this year, but basically it was going to take them months to get to the, the center. And for me, when I read it, I thought, wow, what a brilliant idea. I'm up for that. I really want to have that exploration of kind of Mm-hmm. It's doing that, and even and yes, in any game, as players know the tricks and the tactics, and as there is a power creep, things that were difficult become easier. So that's just part of the progression of the game. But to have the Sagittarius A um, discovered in the Gamma period, I think it was. Yeah, it was um, uh, so quickly, and it's. I mean, it's no, it's not. Taking any away from uh, Zula Romero, of course, you know, because he was he was the first one, um, and especially since when it was only hundred light years plotting and stuff like that. So getting there was somewhat of a feat, but somehow it didn't feel quite as epic because I went there probably in the January, mm-hmm. uh, January twenty fifteen. I think I went there yeah. and. There was, a, there was an epic feel to it, and the same way as when I went to Beagle Point. But even then, it wasn't difficult. It was, it was no more difficult than reading a road atlas, mm. to be honest. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I was actually they were they were putting together a lot of the the structure for the Great Expedition at Fantasticon, I think, just before it was going to be released. Uh, before Elite Dangerous was going to be released. And the main problem, I think that everybody made the assumption that it was going to be very similar to how it was in Frontier and First Encounters, where your ship uh, would degrade so quickly, you could only do um, several hundred light years before the ship needed an overhaul at a starport, which was the problem. So you couldn't go more than 200 light years outside the bubble before your hyperdrive started going wrong. I didn't didn't know that the previous games worked like that. Yeah, Yeah. well, yeah, there was a servicing thing you had to do, um, I think, at least once a year. And if if you used your ship so much, then things started to break down. And it could mean that <laughs> you were stranded hundreds and hundreds of light years. And of course, there'd be no fuel rats in these single player games. Hmm. Yeah. And, and indeed, I did that. It was, it was after you. And of course, you had uh, the time dilation frontier first encounters, which we don't, well, for which wouldn't work with 
uh, anything multiplayer or anything that has a like a real time BGS, but uh, mm-hmm. that was single player, so they could do it. And so you had time dilation. And although hyperspace jumps to the player were the same length, depending on your ship, they could be the, the actual game clock would advance depending on how fast your ship was through hyperspace. And the, yeah, it, it would, after about a year, it started getting increasingly less reliable. And I did this, I went exploring in FFE and when it was starting to break down, I found a nice little Earth-like world because you could actually land on atmospheric planets. They weren't really much to look at, but you could still land on them. Mm-hmm. And sort of, um, this is it. This is my desert island. This is where I end up. That's cool. And that's that. <laughs> But, yeah, in yeah. fact, I think someone based their entire f- thing in Tales of the Frontier. There is a, a case of someone ending up on on a desert island after they've been marooned in their ship for four years. I thought was was quite good. Um, but yeah, uh, Silverin, you got any idea on this one? I I don't know. I I don't want to piss on stuff that other people other people care about, but I do feel a bit. I don't know. Like I just. It, I don't understand why you'd want that. Like elite, there, there are many things that are great about Elite Dangerous, but variegated planets are not one of them. Um, like I, I appreciate that you know geologically they're really plausible and they've all been they've all been modelled from first principles and all that sort of thing. You know that's great, but in terms of practical gameplay, what we've got is many, many, many like technically unique but very samely beige orbs um, and. There are bits of the galaxy that feel different. Like Bernard's loop feels different from other bits because it's red. Um, some bits have more neutron stars or black holes or whatever. But broadly, areas of the galaxy, I've, I've traveled quite a lot around the galaxy, not as much as lots of the rest of you, I'm sure, but but enough. And I've been to most of it. And um, and space is space. And I, I don't, I feel like locking things off to and then making players work hard collectively to unlock them is is great. Is a really really good sort of shared shared narrative and and a way to add a sense of urgency and pace to a, an online game but um but i don't think the payoff would be great enough simply because you know guess what his more procedural generation isn't uh, isn't interesting enough um you know w- w- there are there are bits of the galaxy that are still cordoned off um coal 70 um there's another one that's way out on the other side of the core you know the, the, the time may come that we, we have that kind of thing where it's like come on guys we all need to ship in and deliver prodigious amounts of exploration data to unlock these cool areas and and the devs may have populated those with things worth finding but i i feel like if you if you divided it up into sectors and then arbitrarily locked it off i just don't think the payoff would be great enough because what are you unlocking more of the same and and you know put put your blindfold on jump to anywhere in the galaxy take it off on a planet and you know what's the difference what's the what's what tangible you know what's the what's the kind of experienced um difference between those so um, so no i can't really can't really see what the point would be personally but but i don't equally don't want to say oh no it's rubbish because people have different priorities shan i do see where suverine is coming from uh but i wasn't necessarily thinking of oh you need to pass or collect so many items before you unlock a part of the universe I was thinking more, and this is the time when I enjoyed exploration the most, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, but it was before engineering, and you had to navigate by using quite a convoluted method 
across the abyss in your 33 light year ship. So mm. the, the, the challenge was how do I get to where I want to go because I can't just like plot a route on the sat on the sat nav and go up the M6, which is how it is now. Um, so it requires a degree of skill and things like that. Now, I personally, my 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 biggest navigational challenge, and yeah, I've got some name drop here, but uh, from one, for those of you who remember when Ed Lewis was doing his biscuit on the way home stream, he got hopelessly lost in the abyss in a ship with, I think it was a 30 light year jump range. And he got completely lost and, and trapped, and he wasn't keeping a record of where he was going. So using trigonometry and all sorts of tricks like that, I navigated him out of the abyss from, I was in um, Sol, I think I was, and I was navigating him based on where he said he was remotely saying, try this, this, and this, and this. And I just love that application of math and science and everything else like that to help get Ed out. And it's that sort of challenge in navigation that I really wish we could recreate. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a bit weird on that thing, but... That well, kind of- yeah, I, I tend to agree with a kind of halfway house between the both of you. Uh, I mean, I tend to agree that I think they made a bit of a mistake when um, allowing uh, the the mapper to go more than, say, 100 or 200 light years ahead of you. Because um, I could, I can now map f- from where I am to Colonia and it, it, will, it, will, it will give me the route I need to follow. But yeah, that, that's a good point. It does it making it twenty thousand or whatever it is. It 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 does feel traveling feels a lot easier now, and it and it did used to feel like a big project when you had to when exactly. you had to re, replot. I think a thousand light years was about the right balance for me. It 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 sort of God, I sound like such a self-flagellator, don't I? Um, but it um it, it, that felt like the right balance between ease and it being a very manual process. Yeah, but but. Uh, the thing, the thing was that sort of, um, it did take a lot of the challenge, challenge of navigation out of it, and then a lot of people just went, "No, we want that in." And um, yeah, I mean, the other thing that I thought, I always thought, it's been a bit of a mistake about the super, um, the neutron superhighway, where everyone can now jump to Colonia in about five or six hours. Is is that? I think well, six, the, six was the six was the limit. Uh, the neutron highway came in at about the same time Colonia did, so it's, it's not a good comparator. I don't think the neutron highway, on its own, I don't think the feature of being able to surf neutron plumes or whatever is dramatically. It, it has made a dramatic impact. It's the no. ability to use third-party software to plot routes using it that has been quite dramatic, and it, it's not obvious that the devs could have foreseen that. Well, no. What happened in that one was that there was a mistake made in the beta. Where you could jump, uh, it, it was a three hundred percent jump when it was supposed to be a thirty percent jump. Wow! <laughs> uh, yeah, but everybody then demanded that 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 it stay as a three hundred percent jump. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I I think it just took stuff away from the game. But you know that's that's just me and me old grumpy Generation X myself. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Um, somebody I know made a really good point about game design in general, which is it's is much easier and safer in terms of audience management to make it hard to begin with and then 
gradually make it easier because people thank you for it. Whereas doing things the other way and setting it conservatively easy and then cranking the difficulty up if you feel you need to later, you can never, you, you can, it's much harder to get away with that because people feel like they're being screwed over. Mm. So like in terms of, in terms of finding where the sweet spot is, it makes sense to, it, it makes sense to make it punishing to begin with and then lessen it rather than the other way around. Yeah. Max, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, there, there is, of course, a way that we can make both sides kind of happy. Um, we've got, and actually kind of, for those who feel that it was a mistake to make the, the whole galaxy just easily jump acrossable, um, is that even cromulent jump acrossable? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's very Wallace and Gromit, that. Anyway, the... the we we've got it. We got the we got of course twenty twenty update coming up. But at some time during that future, we got all the the mystery with the Thargoids and where they come from and the the Guardians and all that. At this point, they could say, "Well, we found we found the Thargoids are actually from another galaxy, and you can use some kind of portal." They open up the Cold Seventy sector, and somebody stumbles across a portal. And then you jump to another galaxy, which is completely unexplored. There's no mapping. And if you want to explore it, you have to map it. So you oh, can that'd still, be so cool. You can still do our galaxy like we've always done. And then you've got this new galaxy, which is completely unmapped. And we don't even know what shape it is. And, of course, Canon will quickly work it out because they'll look at the skybox, they'll see the Milky Way, and they'll see some other objects, and they'll do some trigonometry and figure out which galaxy we've jumped to, or at least whereabouts it is in the sky um, from where we are. Um, but, yeah, it'll, it, it would have to be... It would have to actually be fully explored as suggested. Um you know, just just using you know, jumping to the next star, uh, collecting data on the next star along, and so on and so forth, uh, to find its find its structure and its secrets, and then then we could have that kind of expedition. We could have all the, we could have a, a mass a mass jump through whatever this portal is and uh, start a new expedition. And also on the subject of the neutron highway i kind of like that because it gives something to discover that um because i mean certainly what we did with the thanksgiving expedition we went to high in the galaxy and we found a nice neutron route to colonia which sped up the journey and things like that and, it, it would, and of course when you're discovering it, it goes into expansion all that via um logging tools so it's kind of doing a service for the uh, galactic traveler anyway that's my piece Okay, Shan? Yeah, I was just uh, listening to what Steve and, uh, and Mac were saying with interest. Um, what I think about root plotting is it's a double-edged thing because sometimes you do just want to get somewhere and being able to plot 20,000 light years is a nice to have. I mean, anyone who did navigation in the core and then had to sit there and work out the math uh, for your jump range and using multiples of so the router didn't crash and stuff like that would know how welcome the change is. But uh, the trouble is, is if you make it easy, you almost have to hamstring and make it difficult for yourself to bring the challenge back. And I, I, I'm not sure there's a balance between the, the two. Uh, personally, I think the way forward do this though would have been to once you discover a planet 
or a star system, sorry, then as you make your way across the route and report back to Universal Cartographics, subsequent players can then use that point to plot. So if you say like the first person to Colonia and turn in the data would enable the route from where they started from through to Colonia because it's already been discovered. There may well be subsequent quicker routes and whatever, but they would need to be discovered by other players. So it's sort of like uh, a map across the, the Great North Crossing or something like that. So rather than just having universal cartographics, knowing where every star is and then run the galactic tom-tom and away you go, it actually drives exploration to un to unlock and report back to get available routes to places. Sort of a bit like that scene in Blackadder the Second, where uh, Melchick gives Blackadder the map, and Blackadder turns it over and it's blank. He says, "You know, this this is the map by the foremost cartographers of of the kingdom." Exactly. It's blank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they as you go along. <laughs> yeah um well moving on from there um one of the there's a couple of quick ones we can quickly uh, just cross off the list here uh i mean michael hughes uh, from facebook said he would have wanted he would personally have kept on top of and take and taken out any advantage that any early bugs allowed people to rank up so quickly he said he says he would have it would have cracked down on that. I don't remember there being that many bugs which did allow you to rank up quickly uh, back at the very beginning. I thought things kind of got easier later on. Uh, no, the, it was it, there was a bug that enabled you to uh, rank up Imperial rank, I think it was, very quickly. You could stack Imperial missions, and I think you could get from being a nobody to a king in a couple of hours. I really? I've forgotten the exact mechanic. Yeah, it was it was quite widespread. I think it took a couple of hours, I think, to get you from a nobody to king in the Empire. I, I can't remember the details because it was so long ago, but it was definitely something like that. Oh, gold. Well, um, I was unaware of that. I thought it... Uh, Maybe maybe I started the grind too late <laughs> for, the, for the Imperials. Um We've also uh, got uh, Matt Wally Walford. He would have done away with the engineers completely as he finds them a complete and utter game killer, as far as he's concerned. Um, this is really, this is a really tooth point. Do you mind if I... Um, yeah. Actually, I'll just see whether... Um, Shan, there are dots there. Did you just put them there, or am I all right? Uh, um, well, I was going to talk about the engineering side, but I don't you want to first. kill your you first. Well, basically, my I I agree mostly with with the poster um, because one of the joys about early elite was certainly when you're outfitting your ship, your ability as a pilot was a differentiator, not your gear that you had. So, an engineering basically killed that balance. Personally, I would the way I would change engineering is I would remove. Uh, engineering on a power plant, and that would be the only change I would do. Yeah, um, I actually agree with you there because um, we we had this discussion before, where, where it was a case of I actually quite like some of the the um, things that you get you get in engineering, but you but the the fundamental issue was you were always restricted by power, and as soon as you 
uh, give yourself free power, so to speak. That was it. It just unbalanced things too much, especially the power distributor with a constant boost. That was, yeah. Yeah, although I do en- I do enjoy having a perma boost crate. That's it's a lot, of, but the I, I think the fundamental problem with engineering is there isn't enough trade offs. I think really what you should have if you want to make a if you want to make a ship with absurdly powerful weapons, it should be a glass cannon. Um, it should be at the expense of having any sort of shield or hull integrity. You should end up ba- basically flying a paper bag with a huge gun. If you want a shield or hull tank, it should come at the expense of having any kind of weapon. So, you, you, what you end up doing is engineering becomes a specialization. You specialize your ship, but it's not, you don't get it for free. You get it at the expense of something else. So, you want a you want a really good interceptor, for instance, that's fast and um, can be used to I don't know take down big ships. Well, you better avoid enemy fire because you're going to get one shotted. Um, if you're a if you're a if you're a pirate and you want a lot of shield strength to evade the inevitable uh, security response, you're going to have to make do with fairly poor weapons and that kind of thing. But at the moment they're just re- you can have both at once. You can have Amazing weapons and amazing shields and hull at the same time, and your ship doesn't really overheat much, and there's just no real trade-offs. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. It's, um, I think, I don't know, engineering is a, a difficult one because, on the one hand, um, on the one hand, it has undoubtedly raised the level cap um, in the multiplayer, uh, and it means that you know you get busy engineering or you get busy playing playing on your own basically um if you want to be competitive then you kind of need to get engineering um and um and the implementation has not been brilliant um like it, it is very grindy it's been made it's been made a lot less grindy but that has been a, a slow process and i would i would argue that we're now approaching like the the level of grind that it should be but it's taken a few a few years to get here um and it's and it's very very time consuming and the gameplay associated with it is uh is undeniably repetitive and probably probably relies too much on random uh on randomness for um uh for my liking at least which which gives a, a bit of a sense of lack of agency and and um it feels a little bit arbitrary but on the other hand engineering uh you know engineering has been the meat and potatoes of um of what I have spent most of the last couple of years doing. Like when, when I log in, like I often have a project ship and I'll, I'll be popping around like my, my to-do list will be engineering things. And what I'll be mainly doing is engineering. So, you know, arguably I've got a hell of a lot of gameplay out of it. And I, and I have actually quite enjoyed that. It's been a real sense of progression. Um, it's another, it's another thing that you can progress at, you know, how, how, how well your ship is specialized towards what you want to do with it is, um, uh, is a, um, is another thing that you can measure yourself against. So I, I don't know. I'm a bit. I think. I think. I think my my take on engineering is that it it is it is well conceived but imperfectly executed. Um. Some. So Peter Provart. Sorry if I've mispronounced your name. Uh. In the chat says. Um. Oh, this is completely. Uh. Completely. Let's add it on the end. Let's add it on the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fair enough. I thought that was to do with what we're talking about. Um. Shan, what do you reckon? Um. I think, say, apart from the power plant, I've been nerfed because every 
improvement or every tweet needs to have a downside so it, it has a degree of balance in it. I think if I was doing engineering again, I would definitely remove the power plant changes, but I think I would also limit it to lightweight items and frame shift range boosts. I, I don't think I would have all the the um, the weapon mods and stuff like that because oh what, yeah, oh god it, it would be so bloodless if you remove the weapon mods. Um, they're the best part of engineering. No, because uh, we, we sort of in a bit of a retrospective mood at the moment with the fifth anniversary. But ship building in Lee in the early days was a really fine art of balancing your power and what you wanted to do. And you had to overclock your ship by changing the various power priorities. So when you deployed stuff you wouldn't use, you know, in frame shift, for example, wouldn't draw power and all sorts of stuff you had to do to balance your ship to squeeze the last megawatt out of your ship. And I just miss that skill of being able to design a ship to do exactly what you wanted to do within the constraints you've got. I mean, I take, take my, my Corvette, for example, that's got something like a 54 megawatt power supply in it. And it's nothing it can't run in terms of, I don't have to think about power, I don't have to think about balance, I can just load it up and away it goes and does whatever I want of it. Hmm. As, and what actually that does is not only does it almost make combat a bit boring, but also it almost makes the ships more interchangeable. So it almost becomes about what skin what skin do you want than having to really tailor to a ship's strengths and weaknesses. Or you can just fly third lance and just, you know, join the meta. <laughs> Yeah, fair. I don't know the, the the power plant thing. When you first said that, I remember nodding vigorously. And it, it is it is a very very good idea in principle. You know, bottleneck it somewhere. Um, but to be fair, the uh, the power plant mods are quite balanced. You've got overcharged, which gives you oodles more power, but makes it um, very very hot to run. You've got um, armored, which is about ten percent more power, and and um, uh, and uh, and a lot more heat, of, uh, a bit more heat efficiency. And you've got the other one, which is lots of heat efficiency and a bit less power. They those seem like fairly balanced. Uh, you know, it, arguably the armored one is 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 just an unmitigated benefit with no downside. So you could maybe maybe scratch that one. That's the one that I tend to have on everything. Um, but, but the um, downsides aren't great enough. So, for example, um, there are ways to mitigate the heat generation. Of a over of overcharged power plant um, mm. because you can then put a mod on it to reduce the the heat output on it. So uh, the downsides aren't as great. So so what if your shit runs about three or four degrees hotter? That doesn't really make any difference. You know, not not as much of a difference as it would being able to put your an extra three rail guns on or whatever it is. It's not just not not a factor. Mm. Yeah, interesting. It's quite a factor for uh, exploration, though, because the one thing you don't want is a hot power plant because it really messes up your fuel scooping. Yes, but what you can then do, though, is you you can then get a smaller power plant, um, overcharge it to level three, which isn't too much, um, and then 
put the heat reduction mod on it. So you've got a you've got like a two A power plant on your anaconda, and that saves a huge amount of weight. Yeah, uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to get rid of. Um, I wouldn't want to get rid of any of the aspects of engineering um, apart from. I think the power plant mod definitely deserves thought, but I think um, uh, I think it's been pretty transformative in most areas of the game. I'd also like. It's easy for us to say, like academically, oh, I think that this this quality of life measure has has made the game worse. But actually, I don't know how we would feel had that not been introduced because it's very easy to it's very easy to normalize things that make your life slightly easier. And it wouldn't surprise me if um, it wouldn't surprise me if actually um you know we may we may sort of decry these things in the abstract but um but actually they've can contributed to, uh to us playing for a lot longer than we would otherwise have potentially. i mean of course the biggest advantage though for engineering you know given the opposite point of view is actually introduced another currency in the game that isn't credits Mm. And in that, I'm talking about the engineering materials because they're purely individual. You can't buy and sell them, and there's a cap. So by introducing the engineering materials, it's, it introduces extra currency, which people then play for and work towards and stuff like that. So what it's done uh, is because it's a cap, it doesn't matter how many credits you have. The important thing is your engineering currency. One aspect of uh, the getting the engineering materials I kind of enjoy. I, I never actually go out and just go for a grinding session looking for them. Um, I tend to get them as a side effect of doing other things like fighting in, in conflict zones or doing missions or whatever. Uh, and I, I kind of like the scavenging aspects of it. You know, when you, you find a shipwreck somewhere and you, you find something really good, you know, you find your, your G5 materials in there. I kind of like that, that kind of, um, uh, what was the series? Uh, the, the kind of firefly type feel of, of scavenging through a wreck. And, and then, then while you're doing so, all of a sudden you get jumped by four pirates or whatever, and you're fire flying one of your your feeble ships at the time so you got to get out of there that kind of thing so i've quite enjoyed that aspect of it or well, harking back to the spectrum version and you had to blow the cloaking device ship and scoop the cloaking device would you want some sort of um drop that you can pick up from blowing a ship up uh, i don't know let's say you uh let's say we find ben and we blow <laughs> ben's ship up uh, and Ben has a better frameshift drive than us, and we can scoop up Ben's frameshift drive and add it to our own ship. Or at so least thought, the materials he needed to build it, you know, like the, uh, was it, pharmaceutical isolate? Can't get whatever it is. I, I can never remember. Yeah, the, 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 this, what uses pharmaceutical uh, isolators? It's not frameshift drive, it's something else, isn't it? No, it's the dirty drive, I think it is. That uh, might be chemical. Yeah, I, th I think uh, it might be the G5 dirty drives. Um, I, I quite fancied being the equivalent of the Borg. You know, we will add your technological <laughs> distinctiveness to our own just by going and blowing ships up. But that sort of thing, I, 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 I don't know. Part of it has that sort of appeals on it. But again, you just know the drops would be RNG based. So, you know. Mm. And didn't they have those kind of missions uh, where, you know, there's been a big um, space accident somewhere, uh, go rescue things and scavenge things but pirates would also attack isn't isn't that 
One of the one of the unidentified signal sources. Or yeah, there just... was a USS you'd go into, and it'd be full of some high value cargo, and mm-hmm. it would turn out to be a trap. That's right. right. And you'd be attacked by like nine sidewinders or something like that, wouldn't you? Oh, that would be all right. It's, it, it's it was, if you it, jump by nine anacondas, I'd be worried about. Well, it was like nine sidewinders. It was it was like getting nibbled to death by squirrels. <laughs> But that that sort of thing, yeah, I, I'm not sure if this, that sort of trap thing is in the game anymore, is it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting. I don't know what's been taken out and what's still in there. Um, I mean, I've, I mean, I've just discovered that, and this is this is to my detriment that um, the convoy, when there's a threat to on a convoy, that means that pirates are going to attack the convoy. I didn't realise this. I just thought the convoy was better armed for if you were going to try and pirate it. So, of course, I've now been jumping into these all the time and taking on pirates, and I'm having a whale of the time. But for, what, two years? I didn't even know it was that happened. There is there is a lot of detail, I think, we sometimes, we sometimes miss, because it's not really advertised part of the game. And no. I, actually, I think, coming back to the pirate jumping thing, it, that is still part of uh, some missions. If you, if you have a retrieve the black box type mission or retrieve... The commercial samples type mission. Sometimes they will. You kind of get warned on it, um, but yeah, if 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 you notice it's a if it's a like a um, level four or whatever, you'll you'll probably it. And it's always at the most inconvenient time. You've got your uh, cargo scoop open and you're manly scooping, and that the, whatever it is you're after is just about to go in, and then these four pirates sort of land on you and start shooting at you and they turn out to maybe not have engineered weapons but quite good weapons and your shields start to go down and so you have to take them on but yeah i'm not sure that's still in just for the random uss's though they used to they used to be random uss's you could drop in and Mm -hmm. that would be the case i think it's kind of been replaced by that there's one you can drop into with a capital ship that's under fire and then a bunch of pirates turn up. I mean, the capital ship for a start isn't pleased to see you for some reason. You're you're there to be its savior, and then the pirates mm. come in, and you, you're kind of getting it from both sides. Um, yeah, that, I mean that's based on the original Damocles video. I mean, I've always wanted that that kind of. I mean, that kind of the thing is potentially in the game, but um, I never seem to come across it. Yeah, I've I've come across I've come across a cap ship one. Because uh, I, I remember, I remember quite well fighting fighting that one, uh, and it was it was like a disabled capital ship. It was it had like holes in it, um, and th- this I th- th- this was yeah. I'm just trying to remember. It was before or after Thargoids turned up? I think it was after the Thargoids turned up, but it was it was it was certainly after one of the larger updates these things start started coming in when we we actually had the uh, risk level of um of the USSs start to show up yeah yeah um well we'll, we'll leave a, the engineering thing for the moment because it is something we always seem to come back to again and again and um but one of the interesting ones i've, I've seen earlier this Dave Gillum and Facebook, um, he said that um, I would have made the Thargoids a lot more active than passive. Uh, I mean, it's nice that you're hyperdicted and all that kind of stuff, but I would like to be intercepted 
in systems where uh, like you are with pirates but intercepted by thargoids especially in investor in in basically thargoid infested systems what do you think to that i think definitely making the thargoids more i, I don't know it's such a, it's such a balance because on the one hand on the one hand they i, I think i think frontier have kind of been um they, they've had to do what is the least bad option because you know a you make the, the thargoids totally toothless so that everybody can however casual can however casual a player can can pop along and enjoy the content or you make them absolutely punishing and uh and uh, you know completely infest the bubble and totally permanently scar the the um the play area um you know the game world in which case the veterans would be like oh yeah this is hardcore i feel like the i feel like you know there's meaningful change going on i feel like the stakes are high um but you know it, not everybody wants to play eve online um what they've what they've got is an alien antagonist which is genuinely dangerous and and hard mm. um but is essentially opt-in content and is not inflicted on everybody i kind of feel ah. like if you're if you're a game designer that's that feels like the right balance. It may not be. It may not be perfect, and it is a compromise. But it's probably the right balance of those two. And part, no, part of mean, that is about. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was, I was just going to interrupt you there. Um, I mean, I don't mean that. Basically, you are flying along in in the bubble. You're absolutely fine, and all of a sudden, you're jumped by a thargoid or an interceptor or anything like that. I don't mean that. What I what I mean is basically, if you've gone into a system. Uh, which has been either marked as Thargoid or like in the Pleiades where it's, it's under conflict, then basically you better be prepared to be hyperdicted or interdicted by Thargoids. It's a bit I mean, like yeah. the anarchies we were talking about last week when we were saying an anarchy. If you go into an anarchy system, it should be dangerous. It yes. Should be, it should yeah, have, you should be nervous going into an anarchy. Um, probably the same thing from for Thargoid invest, infested systems. You should know yeah. that they're gonna they're gonna go for you if you go in there. Well, that's right because the high prediction moment is just a random cutscene, isn't it? Pretty much no. at the moment, it's a bloody good cut. I mean, I, I, the the high prediction is a brilliant piece of it, it, it's a really really good piece of. Um, I guess have it's you, cinematic. I'm sorry, guys. Have you ever been high predicted while you're actually carrying Thargoid goods? I don't think so. No, no, because they attacked. <laughs> awesome. And if you haven't got, if you didn't fire off your uh, jamming, uh, your jammer at the right point, you are toast. See, I, I, I don't think I that, think that, that seems like a good balance. Mm-hmm. I think they just go for you, Colin, because I've had no, like no, I've... bits in my hold tons <laughs> of times, and they've never gone for me. I think they just see you. Oh, he's calling our game. I don't no, think no, they. I mean, I've had, I've had guardian guns and all that kind of stuff on my ship, and they're not bothered about that. But as soon as oh, I've had I the probe on it, then that was it. They went for me. I, I, this I is, wonder. Um, sorry, I wonder. It's because because you know there's a in, there's an internal counter. Or a, in a, a yeah. reputation, if you like, to what the Thargoids think of you. You, you aware of that? Yeah. Oh, is that? It's because so he slaughters it, scouts all day, isn't it? So <laughs> if you've been slaughtering scouts, you are, you, to the Thargoids, you may well be the equivalent of Harry Potter to the Thargoids. And so therefore, they attack you, where I'm being the well balanced, good natured player i am 
They just say, all right, Shan, Shan's a good guy. I'll leave him alone. So, but I come along because I've got my elite rank just, or my deadly rank just by shooting Thargoid Scouts. And he presto, I'm Mr. Mr. Um, genocidal human, so therefore I'm a target. Which which is actually quite cool if you think about it, but true, true. Right, let's let's um, if everybody's happy with that, we'll move on to another one. Yep. Um, well, obviously, and um, someone's put in um, straight for straight out of there. He's wanting a looking for wing function. I think I I completely agree with this. I think it's, it's one of the there's a looking for crew option for multi crew. I think that a looking for wing option is absolutely essential i mean so much so i even wrote a website for it but (laughs) um i'd I'd rather see that in in game itself what does anyone else think of that i mixed feeling about that because i've seen lsg functionality in other games Mm -hmm. and it kind of works if you've got a friendly population but if you've got the average population, usually what happens is you get a skill or a gear check before they'll let you in. Or uh, if it's the sort of game where you can mess up and ruin people's day, you'll get people joining in just to, just to get the other people blown up. In other words, to do a Leroy Jenkins. Well, just, yeah, just muck about. To do something to get the other players wanted. And then cackle as their shit gets blown up, or whatever griefing you particularly want to do. So yes, if everyone's nice and friendly, the LFG can work really well. However, it does have a tendency to turn into a gear or, or a skill check and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I'm going to quickly check off um, quite a few ones which are, well, I think well-known problems, but. They're being a bit vague. So we've got, um, let's see. Oh, I've got, I've got and lost the place. I thought I'd, I'd put them all together. Uh, yes, we've got Commander Tic Tac who says, reduce the repetition, repetition and add content instead. And that's his entire suggestion. Yeah, that's, that just boils down to make the game better, doesn't it? it I, I feel like... In the same way that people say, you know, corporate fan wank, people say that objectives need to be smart, the acronym. I feel like feedback for games ought to be similarly specific and directed. Like, remove randomness, make game better, or add content. You know, people use words like, people use words like meaningful. Um, yes, which, but which are just, which are just synonym, yeah, which are just synonyms for good, really. If you, you know, what 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 is useful to developers and um, and presumably. Um, occasionally we have them listening to this show, is um, specific uh, specific feedback about the experience of playing the game and what would make it better. Saying, add more content, please, make game less bad, isn't particularly helpful. Yeah, I mean, we've got another example here, Mr. Liam Green from Facebook. He's just said, the core gameplay loop. Yeah, go and play a different game, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what, what is anyone to... supposed to do with that? And that thing on meaningful, that thing on make more meaningful gameplay. I mean, what is it's entirely subjective. What what is meaningful? What what's meaningful to me is probably not meaningful to. I'm probably I might be a bit weird, but I I'm doing you know, so I'm doing doing the Christmas Carrier's convoy, and I just really enjoy the whole act of traveling. It feels like 
I've actually made a voyage and I like seeing, you know, the nebulas go past and the star clusters go past and all that kind of stuff. And to me, that's meaningful gameplay. But to a lot of people, it's like exploring. It's just jumping and honking, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's, it's like, to them, it's not meaningful gameplay. So what is meaningful gameplay? It, dep- it, it entirely depends on the player. And the, the thing is, because... Because it's quite a broad game. I mean, there, there are bits of elite. I've never, I've never done any of the Thargoid stuff, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, and there's lots of bits I've never done, but there's bits I love doing. You know, I like playing with the BGS as well. And for some people, it's like watching paint dry. But for we have a BGS group with the AIC, and we 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 find that enjoyable. But mm-hmm. not everybody does. So yeah, it's kind of a bit that that, that, that whole that whole rather tired oh it's a mile wide and inch deep stuff uh yeah i mean yeah it's it's not very very helpful to say that it doesn't really mean much so yeah no no I, I mean i know what you mean i mean um another one here which ah, i'm not quite sure what what um nopal Frius, uh means by this it says a direct economy like um x Beyond the Frontier and its successor. Now, does that mean does he does he mean there where you can own the means of production, like um, building your own stations and having your stations generate commodities? Well, if the rumours are to be believed, that mm-hmm. could well be coming in twenty twenty. If the rumours are to be believed, yeah, well, economy like is basically. However. However, um, uh, that would be a mistake, I believe, to put that in because the game needs to be designed from the ground up to have a player-based economy. And Elite does not have a player-based economy. What it has, yeah. it, it has a background simulation where things change within certain boundaries. But your Anaconda still costs the same as it did at, at launch. You, there's no, you you can't engineer stuff and sell it on a a trading post or something like that yourself. So so there is no player economy, and I think that actually is to Elite's benefit because if you have a player driven economy, it then requires an awful lot of um, monitoring to make sure certain items are get aren't getting too out of reach, and you, it's all within certain things. Indeed. Some games, which I'm not allowed to mention because I'm like <laughs> I do, um, have actually employed have actually employed an economist to. Yes. Well, you're allowed to monitor in that game. Okay, good. We'll sue them. But they have a. They, they have haven't a, employed an economist. Eve did. Well, ArenaNet have a, an economist to watch over the game economy. Do they? I did not know yep. that. Wow, yeah. interesting. Oh, here's here's one that I didn't think was a pro, um, didn't agree with, but I want to I want to throw it out to you guys to see whether you do, you, you agree with them. Carl from Twitter said, um, "I would not rely on the huge amount of two D interfaces that removes you from the first person view, since they're more easy to create. Their numbers only grow after each update. Elite is getting very point and click heavy. I must admit, I'm I'm sorry, Carl, but I." Don't agree with you there. I don't. Think I sort of got... do, though. No, I can see where okay, you're coming from. Well, okay. the the 3D thing, or the 3D things, I disagree with that because if you ever played Elite in the VR, all the pop-up screens 
appear as holograms in front mm -hmm. of your face. Yes. So it may it may look 2D, but they're actually not in, in VR. <laughs> no, it may look 2D, Carl, but if you spend hundreds of pounds, we can assure you it's not. Well, no, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just how they appear on screen, is what I'm saying. The cockpit is um, very immersive in, in VR, because you can... Well, it depends how you got your settings. I mean, I, I've actually got mine set, so I have to press the hotkey, because it's kind of annoying when you're driving the SRV to look out the side and all of a sudden there's a uh, an interface that's half in the way of what you look at but yeah they they it, it's very immersive the whole way the the cockpit it's, it's obviously been done with the thoughts of vr from the ground up uh the whole way the interface works and even the 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 kind of things you think of 2d like uh the station menu and all that it's this nice curved screen that appears in front of you um and things like that. So I, they, they've done quite a good job on the... Uh, the only thing is, is the usual bugbear in VR is the galaxy map. Um, after a while, you learn to... You learn its foibles, and then it's it's okay, but it does have foibles, let's say. I've never um, known what the problem is with the galaxy map in VR. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pain to use, but of course it's going to be a pain to use. It's not that much pain of a pain to use. I actually yeah, find it's it pretty it, amazing. The, the trouble with the Galaxy map and also the system map as well is you'll be trying to select a system and you move your head slightly and all of a sudden the cursor jumps somewhere else. I've not, I've not noticed that. Weird. Yeah. Oh, I don't. Um, I use the uh, I use the hot ass for, for manipulating the Galaxy map. That might be why. Do, do you use the mouse? Yeah, I, I usually use, I use the mouse and keyboard. Right, okay, yeah. I just use bookmarks and only ever go to bookmark systems. But anyway, um, the second point I do agree with him, though, about the point-and-click side is it's become clear in recent iterations of the game that they are, gear they are adapting the interfaces more towards the console controller mm -hmm. than perhaps the hotel and keyboard. So when he says he's point-and-click, yes, it is. I mean, the FFS scanner, is a classic example of that in that it the, the mouse in that behaves like a controller, not a point-and-click mouse. So you can't just point at a, a signal source and zoom in on it. You have to manually use a controller and, and faff around to do it. So yes, it's becoming more yeah, controller. True. It's become more controller-influenced, which if you're on a PC, I personally find a pain. I do, but, I do that yeah. with the hot ass, though. I, I find yeah, same with, here. The the, FF, the FFS or the FSS, I think it's supposed to be. I use the basically I go into it and I use the throttle to go up and down the tuning range and the joystick to aim uh, mm -hmm. with the twist and pitch and it, it 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 the interface kind of it 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 feels reasonably natural that way. Actually, I prefer for my immersion. I actually prefer having the controller to handle the FSS. I've got I've got it the the X fifty two set up in such a way it's, it's it's actually it feels quite natural to to uh, move the joystick about and I I actually manage the the actual frequency by uh, by the hat controls and uh, to me taking my hands off the I, I, when I'm playing this game I I like to take my not remove my hands from the controllers as much as, as little as possible. If you see what I mean, because that every time I have to touch the mouse to to basically sell something or, or something like that, it just kind of breaks the game for me. 
I prefer it on the controllers. I don't know whether or not I'll be considered weird for doing that. <laughs> My FFS is I use the, um, the cursor keys and a mouse. So I use left and right button to tune and the scroll wheel to zoom in and out. So it's the cursor keys to nip around and that. I find that about the best use I can find. But I really would have wanted point and click with the mouse. Huh. Well, moving on from the from that, um, oh, here's quite a simple one. <laughs> Evil Snowballs eighty two on Twitter says, "Give the DBX a class five slot for a fuel scoop." <laughs> nice and simple. I think he. I think he is a real fan of the DBX. To be honest, <laughs> he probably quite so, likes the DBX. That man. Yeah. Um, now, friend of the show and um, person who uh, caused us to almost start the Thargoid War, uh, Stephen Usher. Now, this is quite an interesting one because I don't understand it. See if you guys can make head or tail of it. Um, as I talked about in, during the early alpha, he says he wants to make the scanner proper, properly linear. Even in the current linear mode, it's actually still logrammatic scaling or logrammatic scaling. And this makes true spatial awareness using the scanner impossible. And I only use it as a director finder, unlike in the previous games. Logarithmic. That's the word I was after. Thank you very much. I Cross off another drink for people. I, I don't <laughs> think the, the logarithmic mode on the scanner even really makes sense at all. It should have been, the default should be linear. And it, I, I absolutely agree. There should be a proper linear mode and it should be the default. You see, the thing is, it's, it's, it's making it sound as if the scanner's useless, but I've, I've never had a problem using it. It depends what you're trying to use it for. I suppose if you're just trying to use it for basic indicators of where your enemies are, it, it's serviceable. But if you're trying to get more advanced use out of it, then then presumably that would be quite annoying. Um, it's certainly, I, I think, it, it, I, I, it's certainly not something I feel a desperate need for. That's probably just because I'm not a particularly good pilot. Who knows? It cer- certainly... Um... I think it would be a linear mode would be much nicer for trying to figure out where the gankers are in a CG. That's true. That's a good point. Because then you could yeah. tell it's difficult to tell because what happens is when they're distant, um, if they're like thousand light seconds or 10,000 light seconds away, they're all quite very distant and it, you can't really tell, you can't really tell the difference between the two. It's only when they start getting really close. Can you tell they're actually coming for you? Um, yeah, that is a, that is a very good point, actually. And really, what 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 they what it should be it should be linear by I think it should be linear by default with a basically with the it's got the zoom functions anyway, so you can change the scale on and you can scale in and out. But yeah, I think it should be linear by default. Fair enough. Um, well, moving on from there, um, we've got um, uh, Sintwin Helm from Twitter. He would like the ability to set waypoints on planets. Uh, and HUD elements for optimal approach and landing. Oh, yes. my God. Oh, bookmarks yes. on planets. We oh, were talking about yes. this. Frontier, we talking- if you're listening, bookmarks on planets. Do it, please. <laughs> we were talking about this on the, <laughs> actually, just before the mass jump Sunday on the uh, Christmas Carrier Convoy. And, in fact, that's been a regular topic of conversation on so many expeditions I've been on. We just want to be able to drop a waypoint or even, you know how you can on Google Maps, you can drop a lat along and hit give me directions. In fact, I've been dealing with that this week. I, at work, I've, I've, on our, um, our internal app, 
they needed driving directions for something. So I've, we got the lat long, so it just launches Google Maps and, and drops the lat long into it, and it gives you driving directions. Mm-hmm. But we, we need that for planets. Because, so you know, when you get the, the – the, you, sometimes you get those mi- – not really missions, but you get the tip-off, for instance. It gives you a lat long. Or yes. when you've got a meeting in, in some expedition, we're all meeting at uh, 52.0437, comma <laughs> minus 4. Point, you know, that kind of thing. If you could just open a little text dialogue, drop those numbers in, and drop a pin on the planet with your, you know, your little compass to the left of the scanner, and you just fly to it just like any other waypoint, it would just—it'd be a big quality of life thing, huge, I, huge quality of life thing for explorers. It, it would be. It would be. I mean, personally, I wouldn't use that long. I would use the license for what three words and use what three words for navigation. Um, my. Well, I'm a complete convert to what three words because my, my my new car sat nav can use what three words and it's way better than postcodes. In terms of, of the Google Maps, yeah, I'd want to drop like a you know in Google Maps you've got the little yellow guy. Yeah, drop him over the map. Wouldn't it be cool if he was like a, if he was a spaceman and you just drop the <laughs> spaceman <laughs> on on the planet? But yeah, waypoint. I mean, yeah. When you zoom into the planet, you could drop you could drop the waypoint there. Or, and the, the other thing, because we were talking about, is like when you find some cool feature. We were talking about this on Sunday. You, you find some cool feature like this a canyon that's really good for racing or whatever. Uh, it'd be nice to like drop a, a regular old blue bookmark on it, mm-hmm. which would bookmark the lat long in the planet, and then but you could fly to it again. So you could just you just find it straight away. Yeah, um, that'd be really obviously, good. if it's well, a you can share, share book- it. With your squadron, yeah, yeah, we've yep, we've kind of idea. been using geosites as a proxy for this for meetups. We we a lot of expeditions now are saying meet a, a geosite fourteen on whatever planet because you can that kind of works as a bit of a marker. But being able to do arbitrary ones would just be so uh, I know it'd be so good. Yeah, it would be brilliant. Would be very 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 good indeed. So, right. Well, what we're going to do, um, that's uh, it for all the feedback stuff uh, tonight, because basically we have gone, uh, we have run out of time again, and yet we've still got about three or four pages (laughs) left to discuss. So, you know... Oh, thank again. you. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, Dr. Colin. Thank you for everyone who put it in. Keep them coming. If you have brainwaves over, we're, we've, we've got, we've basically, we've got 11 months more content to fill. <laughs> so, so the more of these you send in, the better. Yeah. So uh, what we'll, we'll, we'll just quickly touch on a couple of the community corner things that are, are happening. Um, in addition to the, uh, uh, the, uh, current expeditions both with the the haulage holiday for for operation opa and uh also the christmas hauling uh, thing that max involved with um the loose screws podcast wants to invite everybody over to their own end of year disco party slash show on december the 27th this will be at um 7 30 uh, central standard time i do believe because it's in america they are inviting as many people as possible to um, come over and move bio-waste for them uh, as part of their <laughs> Discord show uh, and, and show that they... I don't know whether or not they're, they're, something's implied by the fact they want to shift a lot of bio-waste. I, we'll, we'll just leave it up to them. Uh, whether they're uh, giving it or taking it. True. 
But then again, we could always drop radioactives off at Slough. That's always a good one. <laughs> the other one was, um, as you know, um, HCS Voice Packs, who do um, Elite Dangerous Voice Packs for uh, Voice Attack, they've been doing a lot of Black Friday sales and, and so on and so forth lately. Um, but lately, they just teased a picture of um, Babylon 5 in connection with future Voice Packs. Awesome! Which, of well, course... There's only one cast member still alive, isn't there? Oh, oh that's exactly. unfair. That's unfair. Well, there's three. a lot of them. They've, they've, lost, they've lost three. In fact, Star Trek lost, lost them a couple of days ago. Well, they've lost the... Uh, they've lost... Um, Jakar. Uh, they've lost Jakar, who, who was an astounding and, presence. And the... The Doctor. Uh, Stephen Franklin. Yes. And um, Mr. Garibaldi. Yes. Mr. Garibaldi. Yeah, unfortunately. All, all three have uh, passed on. Uh, <laughs> so, Bruce Spotlightner, do you reckon? He's, no, he's still with us. Yeah, no, oh, I'm but, thinking for the voice pack. Oh, right. What about... Because um, he did the uh, Tron one as well, wouldn't he? What no, the Susan? best one. Yes, the best one would be Susan Ivanova. It's got to be Susan. We're hoping that Claudia Christensen has signed up for this because we want no boom today. We want boom tomorrow. <laughs> But she couldn't be one of her, though, for the license for this. Because the Marina Sirtis voice and the yes. Paul Darrow one, they, they aren't Avon and Deanna Troy, are they? Sounding voices. No. True. But the Paul Darrow one might as well be because he's just as sarcastic as Avon is in this one. You can, you can switch it in voice packs to be normal, or you can pick, fix, you can switch it to be sarcastic. <laughs> And the Brian Blessed one. Well, come on, it's Brian Blessed. I want GLaDOS from Portal. They did try to get her, apparently. Maybe still trying, but the last I heard was that Steam and there's all sorts of difficult to get hold of the license because Steam, or Valve, sorry, still wanted the, uh, the actress's voice. Yeah, um, I remember there was an awful lot of trouble getting her for Pacific Rim. Because her voice is used as some of the um, AI in in Pacific Rim, uh, mm. and th- they had to put different uh, modulation on it in order to make sure that um, Valve were happy. Interesting. Yeah, I think it was mostly a case of it was a case of um, in Pacific Rim they said um, it can't sound exactly like Glados, but you're allowed to have it so that people go, "Oh, is that Glados?" <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? mean yeah. In terms of star power or star availability, Claudia Christensen is probably less busy than Bruce Boxliner. Um True. I think Claudia Christensen would be quite keen as well. I think she'd be. I think she'd be up for doing it. Oh, she's oh. done quite. She, she's just done quite a lot of game stuff. She, yeah, I mean, exactly. She's in Skyrim and and quite a few others. I mean, I would. I wouldn't like. I would mind Mira Furlan as well, because uh, imagine Delenn telling you off because basically you <laughs> you forgot to put your landing gear down. Yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty good. Only good. one commander has ever beaten me in battle. He is behind <laughs> me. That one. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Station, station announcer. Yeah, 
<laughs> if you value your life, be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like uh, talking of, talking of battles. I'd, I'd like uh, Worf, especially that 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 thing he does with, with the, uh, the 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 facing the Borg or something. He says, "Perhaps today is a good day to die. Prepare for ramming speed." <laughs> <laughs> the best Worf quote ever was in the Q episode when they're in Sherwood Forest. And he goes, Captain, I must protest, I am not a merry man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, just, I mean, there's John Delancey, uh, he's one of the voice backs, isn't he? He is. I can't he remember which really one. Do it. He doesn't really do a cue, though, does he? That's, that's, that's the thing I found them, is because of the licensing and they can't use the same tonality unless... You know, they, they pay the licenses. You get the voice, but they don't sound tail necessarily how you would expect them to. Well, Brent Spinner still sounds like Data, though. But does he have the same enunciation, you know, that kind of... Does it's, he pretty, it's, it's, and stuff? Pretty, it's pretty similar, especially when you've got him um, describing all the uh, the worlds. There are, there are points where you can, you can have them describe um, what a, a Type 1... Um, metal world is and things like that, and it will give you the kind of, um, and that's actually quite nice. That that does feel as if data is reading out stuff to you. I I suspect the thing with data though is he's probably just using more or less his everyday voice, and I you probably can't stop people from using their everyday voices if they're mm. actors, because I mean, let's like. Picard, what's his name? Patrick Stewart. I mean, the voice he uses as Picard is probably the voice he used in God knows how many Shakespeare plays he's done and other TV and what have you. So, yeah, true that. In, yeah. in the case of GLaDOS, you can say, yeah, I mean, there, there's something that uh, Valve can protect there because they've done the whole, they've done an effect over her voice. It's not just her speaking in a normal conversational yeah. voice, but an actor using their normal conversational voice when acting, you can't really. You'd be preventing that actor working on anything ever again. Well, Tom Baker was the obvious one, isn't he? Tom Baker is Tom Baker. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and he's good. He is good as a voice pack. It really is. Um, Bitstorm has suggested um, a Vorlon uh, voice pack. (laughs) That would send you into the sun on purpose. (laughs) Um, Yeah, when your ship's about dead, about to blow up, it sends you into the sun. (laughs) <laughs> or also be the most useless voice pack because you would have to say uh, set course to the star on the right at the hour of scampering or something like that, wouldn't you? Yeah, something like that. Um, Napolis has asked if there's a Stephen Fry one. There isn't, but it would be quite nice because Stephen Fry was the, the hitchhiker's guide in the hitchhiker in the in the movies. Um there's not a Marvin voice pack, unfortunately. Although I must admit, I'm sure it wouldn't be that hard to come up with one. Unfortunately, I'm sure you could do a good Marvin, Colin. Oh, I I can do a good Marvin. I can do a good Marvin if I wanted to. Go um, on, man. No, because it'll just get me very depressed. No, I have this terrible on, think... pain in all the diodes down my left. Come side. on, Colin, you, you you've made a claim, and there has to be backed up. Otherwise, it's fake news, and you will be on fact tracker. <laughs> oh dear. Um, well, it's quite unfortunate now because both it's just hit me that both the actors that have played Marvin have have died. 
they've moved on. So, uh, are you thinking there's a Marvin curse then? Colin? I, I think so. So, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly why, Shan. I'm not doing anything of the sort. Well, moving on from these voice bats. So, if you want to see Colin next week, <laughs> don't get into Marvin. If you don't want to see Colin next week, persuade <laughs> Colin to avoid. We want a Marvin voice back. Thank you. <laughs> Probably the only way you get my voice in the game. Uh, it seems everybody else's is. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. Anyway, um, now before I go and give the usual call outs, um, does anybody have any final business for this evening? Not me. Isn't there a Sagittarius Eye issue being released lately, though? Oh, yes. Uh, me. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> I I know that you uh, you you've been busy with the new one uh, uh, the new magazine, but yes, but uh, but no, the, the, the Sagittarius I issue twenty five comes out uh, on tomorrow. Yes, it releases tomorrow. We've been we've been working on it for three months. Uh, it's very very nice and shiny. Uh, Mark Winston wrote about seven percent of it, and um, uh, and the rest of it was written by. Um, was written by uh, AI bots that we bought cheaply that do automatic writing. So you should definitely pick it up for the princely sum of five credits. Uh, you will be able to find it on the Sagittarius Eye website tomorrow, and we'll be uh, making a, a, a noise about it on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it. So is this like the equivalent of the Sagittarius Eye annual? You know, when you when you're a kid, you used to get the annual. Didn't you? Oh, the Beano. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, no, it's. Um, let me think. It it's uh, it's not. It, it's still just a monthly one, but it's quarterly. Like, it, it, yeah, exactly. So it's it's no different. It, it's no different in like size or style. It, it's just coming out. Um, it's just coming out quarterly rather than monthly. Sorry, yeah, quarterly monthly. So, so Sue, basically, you spend what a month writing it, and then two months debugging it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we basically just take our sweet time about. It. We used to frenetically write um, the magazine. Uh, we used to spend hours and hours a week on it um, to try and get it done um, in time for uh, a monthly release, which basically meant that we burned through good people like, um, like. Nobody's business. Uh, whereas now we we, we uh, had to we write it at the, our leisure. The pile of dead bodies was becoming a bit of a problem. <laughs> it was becoming quite aromatic. I know. I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and also, and also th this edition, I, I, I wrote the tutorial, so you get to see a picture of my most handsome face. Well, you've got several. Yes. Several faces. It's like Crichton. He swapped his head around. Yeah, spare head too. <laughs> as long as they're his faces and not faces he's collected along the way. <laughs> of, of, of all the, the, the pile of dead writers, we've yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's that wall from Game of Thrones, isn't it? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. who are on. you, Mac? I'm no one. Yeah. 
<laughs> moving, moving on slowly. Um, we uh, we have to give a shout out to our sister station, Hutton Orbital Radio, which broadcasts on Thursdays at half past eight. You can tune in at tvforthemug.com or if you just want the audio, go to radio.forthemug.com and it's available on all your podcasters, podcatchers and, and, and whatnot. Uh, we would just like to say that a certain Commander Psycho Cow has been reprimanded for um, non-regulation uh, headwear and has apologised uh, to everybody in the group. So um, all truckers anywhere, everywhere should have his apology by now. Um, for the discerning commander who likes a bit of CQC action, check out the CQC Discord at discord.me slash elite dangerous CQC. Uh, obviously, um, the guys there would, would love a lot more. Uh, people to shoot at so if, if you do fancy uh, a quick blast at it then uh, that's the place to meet everybody to do it um, also I do we have a uh, Galnet news article for this evening from Commander Witherspoon yes we do excellent and it's well, ready then. to go so following up this you'll you'll find the latest uh, the latest in the, the whole of the galaxy as per Commander Witherspoon and um, as uh, delivered in its usual unique style. <laughs> but uh, we'd like to also thank to everybody who's chipped in in the Twitch chat uh, and uh, and Commander Miggles, who, who definitely joined me for a little while outside uh, uh, the uh, uh, Orange Sidewinder bar. Uh, so that is it for uh, another episode of Lay Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email info at laveradio.com. Hit us up on facebook.com slash laveradio. Tweet us out at laveradio. Uh, or you can join the Discord server by going to discord.io slash laveradio. Um, so if you want to join in with the community questions, um, the best place to send the is send information to is info at laveradio.com. Uh, we also have a TeamSpeak server, which where commanders come to hang out and chat, uh, where, which you can find at teamspeak.laveradio.com. Do get in touch if you have any questions or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss in a future episode. So we are recorded live on a Tuesday at uh, half past eight GMT and streamed out at laveradio.com slash live. And we're also coming at you from iTunes and uh, most of you are the podcasters. Give us a, a plus up and a review if we're if you're enjoying it uh and so thanks to shan thanks to mac thanks to silverine uh, and a special thanks to uh today's spec tech specialist uh, commander ventura but until next time commanders fly wait. safe oh hang on wait 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 we have something um, else yes next week's live radio will be the last live radio of the year. Of 2020. Oh, sorry, 2019 of the year. So we Actually, won't be on Christmas Eve. Is it, and is we it the won't... last one of the decade? It will be. So that, that's more impressive. This will be the last episode of Labour Radio for the decade. It, and we've only been at it five years. Or so, six. yes. No... Seven in February. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so 17th <laughs> Christmas special. Hear Colin sing and watch Ben dance and we will join you all later. And I'll see whether or not I can pull together a Marvin impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making a rod for my own back now.
Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, so, so the decade ends at the end of 2020, which is quite correct. Oh, I think, yeah. Does it end at the end of 2020? I suppose it does. Well, it, yeah, depends. it depends if you're a zero-based person or a one-based person. And so far, every programmer and hacker in the, in the chat room has just slapped their forehead. I, I don't think it does. I think it ends. I think it ends at the end of. I think it ends at the end of nineteen. Otherwise, nineteen ninety nine would have been the first year of the millennium. What? <laughs> we can we can safely say that. Um, oh, sorry, twenty. The year two thousand would have been the first year of. Yeah, last year. The last. The last live radio of 2019 will be next week. <laughs> However, we have delayed the end of the decade. Live radio. <laughs> no, I'm right. Do that. The year 2000 was the first year of um, of the the no. It was the it was the last year of the last millennium. So 2020. Okay, is the last hang on, year hang on, guys, hang on, guys. We will carry on this discussion off air. <laughs> So until next time, Commanders, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous. And please, God, help me now. Oh, God, I'm so depressed. <laughs> Is your life like this? It's like someone having an orange insertant. I'm going to see the galaxy. News Digest, Frameshift Retrospective, 10th of December 3305. We look back at events since the start of the Frameshift Drive era. And so another year passes. It's just over five years since the current generation of commanders took to their ships, some the so-called founders, as early as the 22nd of November 3300, with a brand new frameshift drive technology that permitted travel between star systems in seconds rather than the years of sublight travel we'd had to endure previously. 
travel from Seoul to Proxima Centauri originally took more than 40 years, a slow acceleration that took 20 years to the midpoint, and then an equally slow deceleration to arrive slowly enough to be captured gravitationally and enter an orbit. Commanders who complain about how remote Hutton Orbital is now forget that it used to take half a lifetime to get there. Even a hundred years ago, the 0.22 light-years from the current jump-in point near Alpha Centauri to Proxima Centauri would have taken several weeks, although the Star Dreamer technology made time appear to slow from the commander's perspective. With the new frameshift drive, which turned out to be far more reliable than anyone had expected, it became possible to travel unimaginable distances within a few days. Indeed, Commander Zulu Romeo arrived at the centre of our galaxy Sagittarius A-star only about a week after setting out and before the end of November 3300. There had been planned to be a first great expedition, setting out to cross the galaxy with supply lines and repair stations, but it turned out not to be really needed. The frameshift drive, which has since been enhanced further by the engineers and then by Guardian Boost technology, has made cross-galaxy travel almost trivial. Neutron star boosts have made travel times dramatically faster. With a bit of preparation, you can get from Sol to Sagittarius A-star in well under three hours, and you can get to Beagle Point and Semitus Beacon in a day. Humankind is bounded by the vast intergalactic void, but there is nowhere in the galaxy other than a few forbidden areas, such as the Thargoid homeworlds, we can't now easily reach. Exploration has become a matter of routine. Travel consists of automatically plotting a straight line to your destination. The frameshift drive was invented five years ago. By contrast, it was just two years ago in December 3303 that the Thargoids became more than a curiosity. They started attacking stations, first in the Pleiades and then in the Bubble. Their pincer movement got to within a few light-years of Sol. It looks as if humanity was on the verge of losing control of the Bubble, of having to move to the Formidine Rift, to Hawkins Gap, or to the Conflux, or more practically and prosaically, to Colonia, and leave the Thargoids to wreak their havoc. And then, suddenly, after 18 months of war, the Thargoid offensive suddenly stopped. There have been no stations attacked by Thargoids anywhere since July this year. There are whole wings of anti-Xeno fighters who find themselves with nothing to do. Certainly there are Thargoids to be found if you go looking for them, but they're not doing anyone any harm. Anyone who hunts them down is doing it for the sport. Community goals that started with the search for a location for what became the new Yemba Research Station and continued with the war for Lu, and then continued weekly in an unbroken chain from March 3301, came to an end in April 3305. A community of itinerant commanders who used to travel from one community goal to the next now find themselves without purpose. Certainly there have been interstellar initiatives since then, but they have been episodic, with long gaps, when nothing seems to happen in the galaxy. Christmas is a busy time, too busy to spare the time for a charity livestream, 
But other than the fourth annual Christmas Carriers Convoy, the second annual Operation Ida Holiday Hall, and a couple of buckyball races, very little seems to be happening. The galaxy is quieter than it has ever been in the past five years. And that's what's been happening in the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs>